with an introduction like that, I, I wondered who, who he was referring to because uh, some of that stuff I've never heard of before. But anyway, I think all of us know Dave Maddox, and sometimes uh, you know him uh, in a way that would uh, make you happy, and maybe in some cases you know him in a way that would make you sad. But when Dave Maddox contacted me, and uh, asked me to speak on the subject of enemies of Christ. Uh, I thought uh, about the topic after accepting the, the assignment. And probably like you many times, I thought, first of all, what will I say? And then after thinking about that for a while and, and thinking about the topic and uh, doing a little work on it, the problem I now ran into was uh, what can I leave out? Now, you might wonder why I say what can I leave out is rather frustrating because on the subject I'm going to be featuring today, uh, I've written three books. I'll explain that a little bit later. And uh, beyond that, I teach a two-semester course on cults and the occult. It's titled Religions of America. I sat uh, at my desk uh, this morning and also a lot of other times. I spent a lot of time there, but... I looked at my file cabinets. I said, how much stuff do I have in those file cabinets? There were three, four drawer files, all filled with stuff on cults and occult. I looked at my notebooks, and I have dozens of notebooks. I sat down, and I said, how many books and magazines and tapes and videos do I have? And to be conservative, many thousands. And so I'm asked to speak for about 45 minutes on the topic, and really cover it in a great way. Of course, it cannot be done. But again, my interest in this field comes out of my own experience as a Jehovah's Witness. I was raised from the age of 7 through 17 in the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you have never been in a cult, you'll realize that when you are in a cult, that cult has a tremendous hold on you, even from a very early age. My wife was a public school teacher for some uh, 29 years, and she often had Jehovah's Witnesses in her class. And uh, often uh, they were different from the other students, and sometimes withstood her to the face, uh, challenged her as a teacher concerning things that the Jehovah's Witnesses believed. So from a very early age, a person a cult can be very, very strong in that cult. And uh, by the time you're 7, 10 years of age, 15 years of age, you probably have become quite an adult as far as defending and understanding that particular uh, cult that you're in. So after leaving the witnesses, I first had to find out what was wrong with a lot of beliefs they had because I had only one belief that was straightened out, and that was acceptance of Christ as my all-sufficient Savior. And as I found uh, things concerning uh, their, their beliefs that were wrong that I hadn't known before, those, of course, were done away with. So I became interested from the standpoint of finding out uh, what was wrong with what I once believed in. And then beyond that, in college and in seminary and in teaching, and having many dozens of ex-witnesses who are Christians as friends, and hundreds of others uh, all over the world that uh, have come out of the cults that are my friends, this whole uh, uh, area has been of great interest and has become a ministry uh, over the years. Uh, what I'm going to present this morning is, in part, a testimony. 
I also will be uh, sharing some letters with you, hopefully a few insights that I've gained from my experience in dealing with witnesses and others, a little bit about outreach, uh, how you might uh, establish some kind of a ministry uh, to reach uh, uh, cultists, and uh, hopefully along the way some challenges concerning the presentation. As I begin, I'd like for you to think back, probably before most of you were born, to November of 1978. If you were listening to the news, if you were watching the TV, if you were reading the newspaper after that time, you would find that uh, the public was shocked by the news of over 900 people that had committed suicide in Jonestown, Guyana, under the direction of Jim Jones and his People's Temple cult. Most had never heard of the People's Temple before that time. It's not a very large group, but when 900 people commit suicide, either by taking a cyanide-laced punch or being shot, that becomes quite a news item. And tragic beyond that, almost one-third of those people that committed suicide or were shot were children. They didn't have much of a choice. Another thing beyond that is that they rehearsed for that suicide some 42 times before. And finally, of course, the real suicide did take place. Again, about 15 years later, April 19, 1993, I'm sure many of you watched this on television, when the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas, burned down. Uh, David Koresh, the leader, also died in that fire. Some 86 members uh, burned in that fire. About two dozen of those were children. Last December, the L.A. Times reported, headline, 16 bodies found in French Alps, cult ritual suspected. Cultists' final hours before death revealed, adults, children, were shot, set afire by two other members in grisly ritual. And those two that carried out uh, what we've just read about also committed suicide. Looking back in the same article, one of the perpetrators was among 400 people questioned and released after the October 1994 suicide murder of 53 adults and children following similar rituals in Switzerland and Canada. We could give other examples of cults that have made the news. And of course, this kind of uh, tragedy uh, is something we cannot uh, just set aside and say, well, it's not any big deal. It is a tragedy. We don't deny that. But there is a cult that's taken many more physical lives than these ones we've mentioned, more than the People's Temple, more than the Branch Davidians, more than the Order of the Solar Temple, that last group which I did not name. What do you mean? Where is such a cult found? Quoting ex-Jehovah's Witness David A. Reed as he writes, Jehovah's Witnesses have been dying one at a time, refusing vaccinations from 1931 to 1952 refusing organ transplants between 1967 and 1980, and refusing blood transfusions in certain blood fractions since the mid-1940s. 
No one seems to have kept statistics of the number of Jehovah's Witness deaths. And because they have happened just one at a time, they haven't captured world headlines. But over the past 40 to 50 years, Jehovah's Witnesses have died individually all over the world. I have in my files dozens of newspaper articles that uh, detail these cases. And of course, most people uh, don't think too much about the individuals dying one by one over a period of four or five decades where the other uh, cults make the big splash with mass suicides. Something to consider. Just how many Jehovah's Witnesses died not having blood transfusions or vaccinations or uh, these uh, organ transplants? Well, we can't tell exactly, but I'll give you something to think about. There are over 5 million Jehovah's Witnesses that are today active in the movement. Those are the ones that turn in time. These are the ones that are active in the movement. They're gaining about 300,000 converts each year. The American Red Cross has estimated that in one's lifetime uh, to survive uh, a medical problem, uh, you're going to have out of 1,000 people at least 100 of those requiring blood transfusions. That's one out of 10 people requiring blood transfusions to preserve their life. If you look at 5 million plus witnesses, 300,000 coming into movement every year, thinking in terms of one in 10 needing transfusions to survive at one time or another during their lifetime, there are a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses that have died. And we can't give an exact number, but it goes far beyond what we read about as we read about People's Temple, as we read about the Branch Davidians and other such groups. William Berry, who represented the Jehovah's Witnesses and was speaking to an audience of 20,000 people, made this statement. Listen to it. If a doctor says you cannot survive without blood, then we would rather die than take a blood transfusion. A friend of mine who worked in the Brooklyn headquarters of the Jehovah's Witnesses Bill Settner, he's dead now, but he wrote an article and identified the Jehovah's Witnesses as a number one killer cult. Now, many times God brings uh, across uh, my desk or maybe brings into your hands things that relate to what you're doing. And one week ago today, I received a letter from a man I'd never met. We'll call him Gary. That's his first name. And his letter begins in this way. I offer you my experience as a Jehovah's Witness victim for your research, and he details this concerning his wife. On January 12, 1971, my 26-year-old first wife, Dolores, a loyal Watchtower publisher, following the latest new light from the governing body, that's the leadership of the group of Jehovah's Witnesses, that all organ transplants are cannibalism, died after refusing it the advice of her, in quotes, worldly medical doctors to receive blood, blood factors, whole blood, and a bone marrow transplant. Dolores's worldly medical doctors offered her a 50% chance of recovery and living a normal life if she followed her recommended treatment, their recommended treatment. Her Jehovah's Witness unlicensed medical advisors, the governing body and local Representatives offered her resurrection shortly after 1975. Assurance of being with her dead witness mother, who she missed a lot, 
and mentioned often, when they were both resurrected after 1975, life in a new world and eternal life on a paradise earth, if she would follow their recommended treatment and loss of all things, if she didn't. Jehovah's Witnesses gave her bad medical advice without a license to us and Dolores died. Today, they, the governing body, deny even prohibiting transplants or requiring under threat of disfellowshipping, shunning by all other witnesses, that members of the group refuse blood transfusions, boldly boldly asserting Jehovah's Witnesses believe that to be transfused may result in eternal damnation. Now that's in part the letter that he wrote. So it's a very real thing. Uh, and it's happened time and time and time and time again. Now, to die a physical death that's unnecessary is tragic enough. But for us as Christians, the greater tragedy is that the ultimate destiny of Jehovah's Witnesses will not be to be with the Lord, but will be to be judged by God in the judgment. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses die uh, not only the deity of Christ, and uh, salvation by faith, but they even deny that an average Jehovah's Witness requires being born again. Now, the wonderful thing about uh, that teaching is, I'm saying it as a negative, really, is that in 1935, as New Light came to the group, they decided that the average Jehovah's Witness, they call a member of the great multitude of the great crowd, as you find in uh, Revelation chapter 7, they did not require to be born again, but uh, they would just live in a paradise earth, so they didn't need this experience. And so every Jehovah's Witness who comes in the movement uh, at the present time, or people who have come in the movement for decades now, are told, you do not have to be born again, because that's only for those that are going to heaven. And right now, there are only about eight or 9,000 of those left on earth. So it's the physical life that's taken, yes, that's tragic, but ultimately denying the need to be born again means that Jehovah's Witnesses, those that come in the movement, have no way of making themselves right with God because they reject the only way to be born again. Why do people become Jehovah's Witnesses? Many people are searching for religious truth. And it just so happens many times Jehovah's Witnesses are there and uh, the people who are looking for religious truth say, oh, this must be a way of finding it. In some cases, people have prayed uh, and the witnesses are at the door and the people accept what they say and, of course, they become involved in the Jehovah's Witnesses thinking they have found religious truth. Some people join the Jehovah's Witnesses because of personal hang-ups. The witnesses are against participation in war. They're against participation in politics. Uh, Often people have had religious experiences that have turned them away from organized religion, but the witnesses come along and negate the very thing people are upset by, and people become Jehovah's Witnesses. I've seen young people join the witnesses as a result of just establishing themselves in rebellion against their parents. People become witnesses because witnesses often are neighbors that communicate the witness doctrine. Relatives or witnesses often communicate very clearly to their relatives that they should become Jehovah's Witnesses. And often at school, and uh, uh, I've seen uh, young people become Jehovah's Witnesses at the age of 12, 13, 14, 15, maybe even younger. And often schoolmates will lead that young uh, child 
into the Jehovah's Witnesses if parents are not active in church or not active in communicating truth to them. People come to Jehovah's Witnesses because of an ignorance of Christianity, that is, an ignorance of the Bible. And I think many times that's one of the things that makes it so easy for witnesses to make their, uh, their pitch because people don't know what the Bible says. And the witnesses open up their books and open up the Bible and give it a completely different twist and convince people they are learning from the Bible when they're not learning from the Bible at all. As we think of ignorance of Christianity, one of the leading uh, groups, uh, religions, that the witnesses feed off of is Roman Catholics. Uh, many Roman Catholic uh, countries where the church is strong also have a very strong contingent of Jehovah's Witnesses. Another reason people come to Jehovah's Witnesses is because of witness activity. I think all uh, people uh, in our country, at least, in other countries, often know the Jehovah's Witnesses are those who go from door to door. They're convinced of their message to take it to the homes where people uh, often uh, uh, don't uh, go to church or have gone to church but don't go any longer. And because of witness activity, people become Jehovah's Witnesses. I think another thing, the opposite of that, is Christian inactivity. I have been in a number of homes uh, talking with a person who is becoming a Jehovah's Witness. And I ask, why did he become interested in the Witnesses? And often they would say something like this. I lived uh, down the block from a church or next to a church, and the people in the church never visited me. The only ones who ever visited me were the Jehovah's Witnesses. I became interested, and I'm getting involved, or now I'm a witness. And many times, because we aren't doing what we should be doing, uh, witnesses, Mormons, or others are able to make an inroad and often bring that person that cult. One of the leading reasons many became Jehovah's Witnesses uh, at least we think of the period before 1975 and before 1914, and other dates could be given. The Jehovah's Witnesses have had Armageddon around the corner for over 100 years now. They've set specific dates. Armageddon was going to take place in uh, 1914 or 1915 or 1918 and maybe 1920 or 1925, and the latest date was 1975 and other uh, dates are not set, but it's about to take place, and they used to have uh, uh, a thrust uh, in connection with 1914. The generation alive in 1914 would have to see Armageddon occur. They've recently given up on that 1914 reasoning, but now Armageddon can take place at any time, and you better stay in the group and operate within the group, because if you're not in the group, you're not going to make it. How did I become a Jehovah's Witness? For some of you, this is ancient history. 1940, long time ago. Palms, California, about 30 miles from here. Some of you might know Culver City, Palms, not too far from here. A woman came to the door. She was a Jehovah's Witness. My mother became interested in what the woman brought to the home. A book study was started in the home. They call them Bible studies, but they really study the latest books. He started going to the Kingdom Hall, equivalent to a church. I remember many changes in the home. All the Christmas stuff is thrown out. Birthdays aren't celebrated. Can't salute the flag. All kinds of things that set you apart as an individual from mainstream society or even from Christian society. We started going to assemblies or conventions. And remember in 1940, you look back to September 1st, 
1939, World War II had started. Uh, Hitler's blitzkrieg was launched against Poland. Uh, in 1940, he overran uh, Western Europe. Uh, he was also intent upon uh, liquidating the British war effort. Of course, the Battle of Britain was going on. Uh, the uh, English people did not fall, as had been predicted. Mid-1941, Hitler attacked Russia. Surely, as we were involved as Jehovah's Witnesses at this time, this was really a prelude to Armageddon. We actually were teaching that uh, the United States would be overrun, Britain would fall, the Nazi fascist Catholic hierarchy would take control, a peace would be established uh, after these forces had conquered the entire world, and then after a short peace, Armageddon would take place. Of course, nothing of that came true. I remember attending Sunday school just one time before this time. I, always, I often think about this. I always think about this. I went to Sunday school. I must have been six years of age, maybe seven, just before the witness contact came. All I remember about that Sunday school experience is I got a piece of candy and the Sunday school teacher's kid was completely unruly, disrupted the class completely. And after going to that Sunday school class, that's all I remember. Piece of candy, unruly kid, nothing about what was presented. And I thought to myself, what kind of experience will people have if they come to our Sunday school classes, whatever the age group? Will they carry away something like that or will they carry away something in the way of a message that will speak to their heart and lead them to Christ. Summer of 1941, very important. We went to a big convention in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, the witnesses had the international uh, conventions in one place. Now they have to have conventions all over because there are too many people. There were over 100,000 attended that convention. I was eight years uh, of age at the time. A book was distributed at that convention, and it was entitled Children. The book Children was very interesting because it uh, had the, the story in it of John and Eunice. Eunice was 18, John was 20. These were young people who wanted to get married. They loved each other very much. But the book communicated the message as John and Eunice spoke, as people who were in love. Armageddon is surely near. Our hope is that within a few years, our marriage may be consummated. We can well defer our marriage until lasting peace comes to the earth. Now think back. John and Eunice, John 20, Eunice 18, 1941. It's 1995 now. John and Eunice are still waiting to get married. They are now in their 70s. Now, that's only one example of this kind of thing. Years later, as... An adult, a Christian teacher, I got a hold of the September 15, 1941 Watchtower that reported on this convention. And it reported on Children's Day. I was a child at Children's Day. Rutherford, the president of the Jehovah's Witnesses, was speaking. And here is this, the quoted report of what he said, speaking to children and part of the time was also speaking to parents. In the kingdom, the great multitude will look to the Lord to guide them as to selecting each a mate for himself. 
Why then shall a man who has this prospect before him of being of the great multitude now tie himself up to a stack of bones and a hank of hair? You women are very uh, much uh, exalted in these words. Then he also addressed parents and children. You may soon meet Abraham, Daniel, and other faithful men of old who shall be here as perfect men. Those resurrected faithful men of old and invisible rule as princes will be the newer, and these princes are due now any day. We did not see Abraham, Daniel, and other Old Testament saints. Concerning the faithful ones of old who shall be resurrected, Judge Rutherford commented, soon you will see Barak and Deborah. I got a picture of her in the book, and when you see her, you will love her very much. She's a real woman and will be able to give you girls advice. You girls who are looking for a husband. When you see da- uh, Daniel, David, Moses, and all the prophets, listen to what they have to say. And they will advise you, boys and girls. And uh, it goes on. It is your privilege between now and before the day school opens to spend six hours a day in taking the book Children to Others. Now, in reference to the parents... Listen to this. Kids, parents, together, Rutherford now says, the parent should encourage their children to do this very thing. Take out the book some six hours a day before school opens. If they would have them live. If you want these kids to live through Armageddon, make sure they take the book out and distribute uh, the material Six hours a day before school starts, if you would have them live. That's the kind of pressure parents and uh, children are under in a cult. And then this also in the Watchtower. Receiving the gift, that is the book. The marching children clasp it to them. Not a toy or plaything for idle pleasure, but the Lord's provided instrument for most effective work in the remaining months before Armageddon. 1941. How many months have transpired since that year? 54 years of months have transpired. So we're dealing with a false prophet. As a witness, you're challenged to go from door to door, to attend several meetings a week, to do street corner work, You see them here standing in front of buildings, distributing magazines. Often you go into a business and you see Watchtower and especially Wake magazines there. They have a business route that they distribute these magazines in. You have book studies. You are to read the current materials. And there is a new magazine every month that you're supposed to read. And it has been estimated that as a Jehovah's Witness reading all the recommended material, you're going to be reading 3,000 pages of their material a year. So this is why many times people are so brainwashed. 3,000 pages of their literature a year. As a witness, we were taught that all other religions were of the devil. And at one time, placards were carried with this message upon them. Religion is a snare and a racket. Later, Jehovah's Witnesses realized there was a right kind of religion. So 
they said later, true religion is okay, but this religion, the snare and racket, came up with a new definition. As witnesses, we denied every major doctrine of the faith. The one thing we did affirm was that the Bible was God's inspired word, but the problem was the Bible could not be understood except through their channel, their organization. God, or Jehovah, was our father, and the organization was our mother. You want to leave your mother, the organization? If you leave the mother, you also leave the father. So people are tied to the group in such a way that to, to leave the organization is to leave God. When I wrote my first book, I entitled it The Apostles of Denial because they are sent ones. They have a message, but it is a message of denial. To make a long story short, we moved from the Palms, Culver City area. We moved down to northern San Diego County. I attended junior high school and high school. As a, a senior in high school, uh, I went about my normal Jehovah's Witness activities. I often went to Oceanside, stood there in the mornings handing out magazines, went from door to door, went to conventions, worked uh, at some of these assemblies and conventions in the kitchen, did that kind of work. Some of my friends went to a tent meeting uh, in Encinitas, California. Uh, they accepted Christ as their Savior. Just born-again Christians, uh, babes in Christ. And they were burdened to, in some way, communicate what they had received through acceptance of Christ to me, a Jehovah's Witness. They presented what they knew, which was they accepted Christ and Christ can save a person through simple faith. They, they shared that. They weren't trained in any way beyond what they had just received uh, as they accepted Christ. I kind of listened to what they said and thought, well, I have the truth. I don't need what they have to present to me. They took me to the home of their pastor. And the pastor in my presence did knock the Jehovah's Witnesses but got down his knees and prayed for my salvation. Now, that did get to me. And uh, as I went uh, to my home, I went to... It was very pragmatic in this. I said, I know I'm a sinner. And if I can be saved through simple faith in Christ, Jehovah, I want that. And I was saved. There was a lot that happened after that time. But I knew I had Christ as my Savior. And other things followed. And I started looking at other things that was taught. And eventually, of course, all the doctrines they taught, all the basic doctrines uh, were um, purged because they all were wrong. They are apostles of denial, denial of every major doctrine of faith. To make a long story short again, God leads in school, he leads in marriage, he leads in uh, life occupation, he meets our needs. I uh, thank God for two children who love the Lord, and uh, I thank God for the way he has enabled me to use some of my experience as a witness uh, to write books that would help people. I can't leave out that which is very uh, important to me. My mother, who is the avid Jehovah's Witness, accepted Christ. My father also accepted Christ. He never was a Jehovah's Witness. But the thing that's so remarkable here, the last time I could talk with my mother, because she had a stroke after this time, she made the statement when I asked her, after talking with her, what did Jesus Christ do for you? She said, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And as Jehovah's Witness looks at the cross as a pagan symbol, and when she said, I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins, I realized that she knew what Christ did for her. 
My father, who was dying of cancer, I talked with him, and I used my mother's statement. Dad, uh, do you know what mother said? And he said, what did she say? And I used the statement. I said, you want that for yourself? My dad said, yes. He died two days later. His body was riddled with cancer. And so I thank God that he not only saves us, but he also takes care of the things that are part of our after uh, experience with him. I walked out of the Jehovah's Witnesses in the summer of 1950, a little PS here, a little postscript. In 1971, at my home down the road here, about a half a mile, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to the home. They held one of my tracks, Why a Witness of Jesus Christ, Not a Jehovah's Witness. I had just published uh, the previous year my book, Apostles of Denial. And they asked me as they held a tract in hand, did you write this tract? They said, yes, my name's on it. Certainly I wrote it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm now a witness for Jesus Christ, not a Jehovah's Witness. They said, you know what that means? They said, in your eyes, it's an apostate. And so next thing I heard, I was disfellowship. But the interesting thing is, that was 21 years after I left them. They had to disfellowship me, make it official, so they could say, oh, that guy, he was disfellowship. But they don't probably tell people it was 21 years after I'd become a Christian, went to seminary, college, uh, postgraduate school, and all the rest, and was a teacher here for 11 years, and now they're disfellowshipping me as though they had any say in that. Can cultists be led to Christ? Now, I often ask that question, but I'm going to state it differently. Cultists can be led to Christ. But think of your own situation, your own thinking for a moment. In the way you witness or do not witness to cultists, are you saying uh, they cannot be one? In other words, if you say they can be, are you moving out in action and trying to witness to cultists? Do you prepare yourself to witness to cultists? I got a letter from a pastor. Well, many times we look to pastors as those who really have it all together. But this pastor wrote a letter to me. It was a confession letter, really. He basically was saying that he didn't have any time to witness to cultists, especially Jehovah's Witnesses. Never had I been interested in the Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, I would never bother to talk with one. I guess I even felt some hostility towards the JWs. When they came to my house, I would always close the door immediately without allowing a second word to be spoken by them. He talks about a young woman who comes. She's all alone. This is when he lived in Carthage, New York. I closed the front door fast, he said. Right after this, I felt wrong about my action, almost as if the Holy Spirit were convicting me for my attitude. The family then would move to Cleveland. He again become a pastor of a church there. He had a dream. My dream ended there. He had let a witness in the home in his dream. My dream ended there. The thought lingered that I must be open to speak and minister to Jehovah's Witnesses whenever they come my way. Last week I was in a Christian bookstore and did what I never did before. I saw a paperback on the Jehovah's Witnesses and purchased it. It was actually one of our books giving the testimonies of converted witnesses. Before this, I would not waste my time nor my money on the subject. As you read the book, I was greatly impressed as never before. My mind opened to Jehovah's Witnesses as people who need a Savior as much as anyone else. I guess I was surprised by my new openness to these people without a savior and their spiritual needs. Anyway, I feel led to read more about the subject and the witness to the Jehovah's Witnesses as he, that is God, 
opens the way. I have another letter here. A, a woman a school teacher uh, had a son who was uh, brought into Jehovah's Witnesses through the efforts of the schoolmates. And she says, in a very brief time, they turned my son from being student body president, a National Merit Scholarship semifinalist, and generally all-around young man with a future of unlimited possibilities before him into a boy who asked to resign his presidency, has ceased to study anything, will watch her on the white truth, and insists he will not go to college this September, and goes on. Uh, she asked for some material. Material was sent. A month later, she said the son was coming around. He apologized to his pastor, and he's reconciling uh, to uh, the family. What I'm saying by this example is this. Many times, a little bit of literature, a little bit of help, a little bit of uh, uh, enabling for someone to accomplish what they need to in cases like this can see tremendous results. I'm skipping a lot here because time is quickly fleeting. A few suggestions on how you might witness to Jehovah's Witnesses and the cultists in general. These are all things I've seen at work. First, I call direct witnessing. Just present the gospel. Don't worry about what they're involved in. Present the gospel. God can often direct in that way. Just the gospel. I don't care what you're involved in. Here's what you need, the gospel. You can witness to just showing interest or showing recognition of what they're involved in. I also um, have seen what I call indirect witnessing. You're talking to one person, the other person's giving the message. I had three young men uh, come to my home. Uh, one had been a witness. The other was a Christian who led the witness from the group. A third fellow, I asked, what are you in? What are you involved in? He said, Uni School of Christianity. For two or three hours we talked, and the Uni person didn't say one word. And then as they got up to leave, the Uni person said, I think I should do something. I said, what, what do you mean? What, what, what do you mean? What, what should you do? I think I should accept Christ as my Savior. So many times you're talking to one person, and the other person is listening. You're talking to two cultists. One is listening, the other is shutting off the message, but that one will come back and ask for help or ask for further information. Uh, library search. Many times cultists go to libraries looking for books that maybe uh, direct them uh, their, when they're having doubts. People many times say, there's no book uh, on the cult or the cults in the libraries. Maybe you can find out what the library policies are and put a book or books in the library. Many have written me that have found books in libraries and saved as a result. Sowing seed. You might talk to a cultist. Others will talk to that cultist. And you won't be the one that sees that cultist one. But like Kevin Quick said, who wrote uh, Pilgrimage to the Watchtower, it took seven years of witnessing by at least 12 different Christians before I finally came to Christ. So you should be a seed sower. Christian films. Last 15 years, a number of excellent films. I've often lent films out on video. And sometimes those films will win cultists of Christ when they watch them. Christian bookstores, you might say you don't own one. You don't have to. But often you can recommend to bookstore owners uh, good material. In some cases, tell them uh, material there is not good. Matter of prayer, very, very important. The time factor. I've had people tell me, you'll never get me out of this group. Nothing you can write would ever get me out of the group. Then I get a, a phone call, you know, I'm a Christian now. Or I get a letter from a young person in the Bible school training for the ministry. Prayer and time often will do the work. Literature, tapes, books, 
I had a letter posted on my front door and I came home one day and the person said, uh, I read the testimonies in one of your books and I now I'm a Christian. And I have tremendous things in the letter itself because he says, I'm not accepting just uh, any old Jesus. I'm accepting the real Jesus, not any angel, but my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins, etc., etc. I enjoy a wonderful relationship with Christ because they read some material testimonies, got a, 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 a tape, a tract, whatever. Referral. I can't be all over the country around the world, but I can often tell people where there is a ministry that will help them, whether it's England or across the country, uh, any place. There are ministries throughout, throughout the states. Telephone messages are being used. And here's something to think about. Maybe you're not actively involved uh, in witnessing the cults, but think about praying for and supporting ministries that are doing the work because often they close down because they don't have any support or very little support. They can't afford to continue because they need money to exist and people don't support them. I'd like to quote one reference that is very important, and my time is up. You all have heard of 1 Peter 3:15 and 16. Apply it to your own life, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may put to shame. In other words, we require dedication to Christ, we require preparation, we must, of course, be able to make a defense of what we believe in, and we should do it in a certain way, and let God bring about the um, result. One final word. A woman in the witnesses for 20 years found she had cancer. She thought it was the end of everything. She looked back over the past 20 years of her life. She thought of dying with cancer with no spiritual orientation that was worthwhile. She had kind of fallen away from the witnesses. She began to search the scriptures for comfort. As you might guess, not only did I find comfort, I found Christ. Jesus Christ had been missing from my life. What joy there is in having found the love and peace of our Savior. I thought all was ended for me, but my real life has just begun. Pray for cultists. Even if you don't speak to them, that they would open up the Word of God and read what the Word of God has to say. She found freedom only in Christ. What a pleasure it is to rest in the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I challenge you to pray for, to reach out, to witness, and to support ministries that minister to the many cults and, and occult organizations uh, in our country. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we think of millions and millions of people that are outside of Christ, not just dead in trespasses and sins in Adam, but are actively promoting doctrines that are diametrically opposed to the faith. Speak to us individually as to what our part should be in communicating truth to them. And Lord, even in the course of this semester, 
May you bless those that administer to these people in need as we would see those one to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.